the changing of the word in that song uh, is something that uh, really is, kind of fits in what we've been talking about with being filled with the Spirit and uh, instructing ourselves and in, where it says there in uh, Ephesians 5.19, speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we, we, we want to make sure the songs we're singing are doctrinally correct. And uh, just a little adjustment, but I think you're good with that. All right, Ephesians chapter number 5 this morning, if you will. We're going to continue looking at the issue of marriage. And uh, we're, we're coming down to the end of the instructions here in verse 30, 31, 32, and 33 uh, to the husband, but then also really to the marriage as a whole. And uh, let's just start reading in verse 30 just to get the information then and we'll go from there. Uh, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of us... Of you, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the time that we can gather together and spend time in your word, and the opportunity that we have to study it together, the opportunity we have to allow it to instruct our hearts so that in our lives, your grace and your love might be lived out in those details. In your name we pray, amen. As we come here to the concluding, really, instructions here to the husband, they sit in the husband territory, but yet really they kind of broaden out and begin, like there in verse 33, nevertheless let every one of you in particular. (laughs) Whether you're a husband or a wife, this information here now is going to become important. These verses are tremendous helps in when you deal with the issue of your marriage, and uh, well, really, of marriage. Uh, if you're not married and you're single and you think you want to be married, this stuff's instructive. If you are married and you've been married a while, um, these, in thing, these instructions are instructive and so forth. And it's just a, really a matter of, uh, of allowing the Word to work where you're at th- this morning. We started looking in verse 18 about the issue there of being filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? You know, everybody wants to have, be filled with the Spirit, just like everybody wants to have the power of God in their life and so forth. By the way, you do have the power of God. If you're in Christ, you have the power of God operating in you, in your life. You just got to get in the book, study it, get it out, get the information out, and then allow it to impact the details of your life. So we started there. We started with, all right, what is it to be filled with the Spirit? Well, to be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3, the sister verse, is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's to take your life and let the Word of God come in and grip your life and take control in your life and, take, and begin to dictate how and what and, and, and impact all the details of your life. So he starts, it starts with you, though, the individual. It doesn't start with the group. It doesn't start with anything. It starts with you. And so verse 19, 20, and 21 talks about you, your life, and what it's going to look like when you're filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit of God, the love and the grace of God, the riches of God have gripped your heart. 
You're going to have that inner harmony. You're going to singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord, verse 19. There's going to be an inner peace to you. There's going to be a thankful heart to God, thanking the Lord for everything, in everything and for everything. Then he, verse 21, there's going to be a heart of a servant, a submissive heart. When, when you're doing that, then he says, wives, submit. Now, he, that's not a big step for a wife. Why? Because I'm already doing it in verse 21, right? Yeah, I'm doing it. I've chose to do this. Now I'm choosing to get married. So then he's going to work in marriage. And you individually, every one of us in this room who are in Christ, who've trusted the, de the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're, in the, you're baptized by the Spirit into the body. All of us equally share the same standing in Christ. Follow me? But when you choose to then get married, now you've chosen to go and operate and function in roles. Role of a wife. The role of a husband. So then what does that look like? You know, what's the job description? So we begin to look at that. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That issue of submission there, the issue there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto the Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, not for everything, but in everything, but also for everything, because what am I doing? I'm already having a thankful heart and a submissive attitude toward the Lord. So, wives, the issue of submission is not it being a doormat. The issue of submission is not being a second-class citizen. The issue of submission is coming in and allowing him, your husband, to now influence you, to now come in and have a, 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 a say in what you're going to be doing. Have a voice. That issue of headship, that's about leadership. It isn't about rule. It's not dictatorship. It's leadership. It's coming in as a husband and saying, here, this is the way we're going to go. And, and she comes up. She's a help meet, Genesis 2 calls her. She comes up next to him and is a helper to make him be. Because then what does he say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Again, notice the standard is Christ's relationship to the body, the church. It's the way it is for the wife. It is the way it is for the husband. And we begin to talk about how did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself. Then he sanctified her. Then he cleansed her, verse 26. And then he presented it to himself. The presentation is the goal. The presentation there, the judgment seat of Christ, the heavenly places, all of that is the goal. But notice, when he gave himself, we define, we gave, I gave you kind of in blocks a, a definition of what married love is. It's what? Self-sacrificing. It's a sacrificial giving. How did he give himself? He went and died for you. He sacrificed himself. Then he sanctified it, set it apart. What is a husband going to do? He's going to set apart his wife. That's his wife. Set apart, sanctified, holy, 
What was she created to be? And the role of a wife now, okay? A helpmeet for him. So he set her apart. She's mine. Ladies, back up there in verse 22, when it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. When you said, I do, and married him, you bought the jerk. I mean the dude. Okay? You bought him. He's yours. Gentlemen, when you said, I do, I'll marry you, you know, guess what? You bought her. She's yours. You sanctified her. You set her apart. She's mine. But then you pur- he purified the church. How did he do that? He educated her. There's a growth here. There's an edification process. Gentlemen, you are the do the same. Then he presents it to himself. A Notice that verse 27. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Isn't that what the ladies are always worried about? The spots and the wrinkles? You know? They're down doing this, they're down. And you know what? It isn't about the outer beauty, it's about the inner beauty. It's about what's going on inside. Because time changes everything. I know you young people don't know that, but just look at your parents. (laughs) It changes quite a bit, okay? Scary is right. (laughs) I won't say what I, okay. (laughs) Verse 28, last time, so ought men. By the way, notice verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ. And then in verse 28, so ought men. The as and the so. See, the so is not until verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hath yet, no man ha- ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord uh, the church, and we begin to talk about that issue of identification, that issue of you're to love her, she's your body. She's yours. You're to love her like you love yourself. And you know how you love yourself? Naturally, you love yourself. So I heard a guy one time say, oh, well, you know what? That person's in a hunger strike because he doesn't love himself. No, he does love himself. He's doing the hunger strike to gain attention, to gain self-attention, self, it's selfishness. Now, as believers, what are we to do? Love her just like the church. So now you come into verse 30. And these verses get skipped right over. Actually, from verse 28 down, just get skipped. Because people, men, teachers, theologians are worried about how to handle it, really, look at verse 32. This is a great mystery. One of the mysteries that Paul writes to us about and reveals to us about is this issue of marriage. I've said it over the course. This is lesson seven on marriage. This will be our last lesson, I hope. (laughs) Okay. Not the last time we're going to talk about it, but the last lesson, if you will. But if you think about... He says this is, this is a great mystery. Marriage, again, I've said this, in Scripture is very limited in information. 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5 here. Uh, Colossians 3 is all that Paul talks about. You take 1 Corinthians 7, and 1 Corinthians 7 answers every issue in marriage in one chapter. Whether it's how do I handle this? Divorce, remarriage, whatever the situation is, it hand, is handled right there. Come over to 1 Corinthians 7. I know it's not on your paper, but I reserve the right to leave the paper. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Because, folks, this de- there's not a lot about marriage, but there is a tremendous amount about relationships and how we're to deal with relationships. And that's really what we're getting into here. 1 Corinthians 7, if you drop down at verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at what? Liberty to be married to whom she will. So who can you marry? Okay? Finish the verse. See that? What does that verse say? Only in the Lord. The only, pers- the only requirement in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, the only requirement in Scripture on who you are to marry is that they be another believer. You see that? That's it. Now, we bring in our own other requirements. There has to be some kind of a physical attraction. There has, you know, uh, I, I read a list one time. One, this pastor gave advice to his daughters, and he says, one, uh, are, one is he a believer? Two, can he support you? Three, are you on, are you on similar plane of understanding and a level here? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm skipping one, but the last one was, is in his arms the only place you ever really want to be? There's no other place you want to be but with him. And if you answer yes to those five, there's five of them, then okay, he might be the one to think about. You see, we have all different kind of requirements. What scripture say? Only in the Lord. Back up to verse 30. Oh, shoot. Verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I... Well, you know what? Just go back up to verse 30, 31. And they that use this world are as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. See that? Without, you, you, you're to have some requirements. You need to have a standard. Only in the Lord is good to go, but you need to have some other things here. You need to, hey, can he take care of me? I know what the other one was. I just thought, is, is he in good health? Gentlemen, check her teeth. And I say that because my daughter, one of my daughters, I have two of them, so she was going to have to have some teeth work. And you know what I asked the dentist? Can it wait till she's married? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it can wait. But we need to take the, Why? Because that dental stuff got pricey real quick. I'm like, I'll let her husband take care of that if she gets married, you know. See, you got to have, don't be without carefulness. Have some care here. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how that he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his what? You see, being single ain't so bad. See, being married is not a requirement. Being married is an opportunity to come now and to be in the most intimate human relationship with another member of the church, the body of Christ. Song of Solomon, chapter 5 there, verse 1, he says, My sister, my spouse. That's intimate. And oh, no better place to be than in the arms of your spouse who is also a member of 
the body. So don't think being single you're, you're missing out. I know we have, some single, we have some single ladies and some single gentlemen. Don't think being single you're missing something. Okay? But he, verse 33, that is married, careth for the things of the world that he may do what? Please his wife. There's a distraction being married. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Isn't that interesting? So when you think about marriage, come back there to Ephesians 5 now. When you think about the instructions of marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, here's the gamut. You start in that chapter, by the way, and you've got a, you've got a married couple, one, mar- one, member, one spouse is saved and the other is unsaved. How do you live in that marriage? You know what he says? Don't get a divorce. Figure out how to do it. Now, if it gets so bad that one says get out, then okay, go do and so forth. Hey, how do you handle divorce and remarriage? 1 Corinthians 7, 28, 20, up in there, helps you out with that. By the way, divorce is never to be a word used by a believer. It is never an option. And that's what we're getting in here in in, in chapter 5 and verse 30 and following. 29, 30, I'm sorry, yeah, 30 and following. Because what happens is, is when trouble comes and lists get made of do's and don'ts, then we begin to lose something. And we begin to get lost in the shuffle. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Man, look, read, just think about verse 30. What's going on in that verse? If you're a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, what is your identity now? Your old man or the new man? You're in him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Okay, you you got that? All right, look at the next verse. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What's going on there? You get married, you know, she walks in, the room goes quiet. Big old glow goes around her. Oh, she's the one. Ba-boom, 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 Right? No? Okay, it did for me. Okay, it didn't work on you. Sorry, got, sorry, ladies. All right? But see, the thing is, is he, what's going on? You go over there, you form this relationship, you, you're beginning to create a what? A new unit, a new married unit. You're taking red and blue, and you're making purple. You take your color, and you put them together. See? And you're, what are you doing? You're making a new family unit to stand on its own. They're going to leave mom and dad, leave the identity of the old, and make an identity of the new. Do you think we're talking about identification here? And the question then comes up, and you think about this. Again, my sister, my spouse, gentlemen. She's a member of the body of Christ, just as you are. So then how do I love her? Come over to Galatians 2. How in the world do I love her? Do I love her in her old man or do I love her in her new man? 
Which identity do I love her in? Isn't that the question? No, really the question is, is did I marry the right one? <laughs> you know, you get down the road a little bit. You know the old seven years thing. The first year that your wife gets a cold and you're babying her and your doctor and you take her to the ER, you do all this stuff. Second year, it's a, oh, you know, maybe first year, get some rest. I'll take care of everything. Linda hurt her, broke her arm this past week. And, and uh, somebody asked me if I have dishpan hands. I said, no, I have a Maytag dishwasher. And so that's doing the dishes. I get them there. But what do you do? You take care of them that first year. The second year, what happens? Oh, you're taking care of her, but it's a little less. Third year, it's a little less. Fourth year is, is, hey, honey, after you get done feeding the kids and cleaning the house, maybe you should go rest. You know, you got that little sniffle going on, right? It just gets different. Does Why? Because things change and happen. Who should, how should I love her? Ladies, this goes for you. How do you love that, that hunk of junk over there? Hey. How do, you, how do you love that per, How do you love your spouse? In the old man or the new man? Well, if you're going to love her in the old man, guess what's going to happen? She's going to fail you. She's going to disappoint you. She's going to devastate you. She's going to cause heartache because she's going to be what? A sinner. A fail. She's gonna, if you love her in the new man, who is she? We're talking about identification here. And how is a husband going to love her wife? It's going to be, and how's a wife going to reverence her husband, respect, you know, do what it's going to be in the, in the attitude of the new creature, who you are in Christ. Look at Galatians 2, verse 20. Yet not, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet what? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. We're talking about the issue of identification here, aren't we? That's what we're talking about. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But when you look over there and you look at her or you look at him, and by the way, we can, you know, I don't want to spend all the time laughing about our failures. But when you look across there and you look at your spouse, do you look at her or him in the old man or in the new man? Do you evaluate them on the basis of who they are in Adam or in Christ? Well, if you're going to do it in Adam, trouble. But if you're going to come over here and do it in who they are in Christ, let me ask you this question. Let me ask it this way. Where did God, where does Christ love the church? In the old condition? Or in the new condition? The new condition. See. When you understand your identification, when you understand who you are in Christ, talking about you, and then you take that understanding, come over to Ephesians 1. When you understand your identification, when you understand who you are in Christ, then you take that and you go and apply it in the area of marriage. Next week, we'll start Ephesians 6, and we're going to apply that in the, in the area of family, the children, the parenting. 
Then you're going to go over here a little couple, six or eight weeks later, and we're going to apply it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to apply it in the work realm. But what are you applying? You're applying who you are in Christ. That's why Rome, our class in Romans, we're in Romans 8, 6, 7, 8, identification truths help with everything. You guys follow? You understand? Okay. When you understand, I got a list here of 100 things, 100 things that are free to us by Christ. See? When you begin to get in and you begin to understand who you are in Christ, then when trouble comes, because guess what? It comes. It's easier to deal with because you're dealing with each other on the basis of grace thinking. Okay? Not on the basis of old man thinking, but on the basis of grace thinking. You have a strategy. You have a grace-driven strategy of an enthusiastic agreement of what's going on that comes from a proper new man thinking perspective. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 3. Let's just think about this. First, by the way, what does man usually look for? Man, everybody. We look for what? Acceptance, don't we? Where do we usually look for our acceptance? In our job? In our appearance? In others? Our abilities? Our capacities? Our finances? Our achievements? Our education? Our family? Our children? We begin to look for acceptance and uh, enjoyment in all those areas, don't we? The answer is yes. Do you know what the problem with all that in your old man is? That every one of them change. I have a picture of Linda when I first met her. And it sits in a drawer. Except the drawer got boxed. And I'm not quite sure where the box went because I want my picture back. Okay? And it's a picture of her. And I got another picture of her and Brian. And I keep those two together. And it's back when we first started, you know, talking. Okay? And you know what happens? When I look at that picture and I look at her today, she's what? She's changed. Okay? Age changed her. Life changed her. It changes all of us. All of us change. Things change. I was talking to one of the gentlemen yesterday after the men's fellowship, and he asked me if, if the kids, any of the kids were still living at home, and I said, no, thank God and Greyhound, they're gone. Okay? And, and he says, really, how are, you getting, how are you coping with the silence? I'm glad somebody got that. How are you coping with the silence, the quietness in the house? And I said, well, it was a little struggle at the first, but now it's pretty nice. <laughs> you know? That's a what? That's a change. And if I got my identity, if I got my acceptance from my kids, then guess what? They would still be living at home, wouldn't they? They wouldn't be out. Do you follow that? Now look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You're not going to need any more. You're not going to need any less. You can't work to get more. 
You can't work to get less. You can't say, no, I don't want that. I want this. You've got them all. You have been completely and totally equipped by the Father when he placed you into his Son. Verse 4, according as he hath, what? Chosen us. Think about that. You've been chosen. Isn't it nice to be chosen? I can remember back on the playground and always wanting to be picked. And I was usually the last one picked. You know? Yeah, oh, you can talk about her. No. I, I think about that Charles Barkley commercial. Yeah, you know, he's the biggest kid on the block, you know? But what? We're chosen. He chose you. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and without blame. Look at that. You're holy. You're set apart for him. Nobody can come up and blame you and say, no, you're not. Why? Because you're in him. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of the children. You, you've got a status in the family of a son. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You have an acceptance in the beloved. Verse 7. If that ain't good, look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. You've been redeemed. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You've been forgiven. Oh, isn't it wonderful? You know what we strive for? Acceptance and forgiveness. And in the old man, you know what? Acceptance and forgiveness gets used as a baseball bat on people. If you will do what I want you to do, then I will accept you and I will forgive you. So we got a list of ten things you need to do. And oh, by the way, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not doing this. And, and then we hold it against them and we smack them with it. That's old man mentality. You know what the new man says? You've already got that. Your acceptance, your forgiveness. Think about that. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You're holy, you're without blame, you're chosen. All of that, of who you are in Christ. And you know what? It never changes. It never changes. As I look around the room and we see the young people getting married, now they're beginning to have children and family units, and you know what's going to happen? I tell them, you're going to get old. Just watch it happen. You know, already the young guys are like, man, this is hard. I go, hard nothing. You, you, you haven't had, you don't know life without AC in a car. What? AC in a car? What's that? You know? You don't know what life is without AC in the house. Yeah. yeah. So you see? But what is that? That's called change. You know, the world calls it progress, uh, progress. It's what, it's, you know what the Father says? I don't change. This is who you are. Come over to 2 Corinthians 9. This is who you are. And because, you, because of who you are, when we trust Christ, Galatians 2.10 says that we are, made, we are complete in Him. Complete. 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. 
that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. The context is about giving and finances and so forth. But what do I have? I have all sufficiency, don't I? I'm lacking nothing. I'm able to stand on my own two feet. Why? Because of who I am in Christ. And when I take that and I put it into my marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 30, a great verse. I come to this marriage complete, lacking nothing. I've got it all. All of my acceptance is now in Him. My acceptance is not in my spouse. It is not in my family. It is not in my job. It's not in all of this extra. It's in who I am in Christ. And when I have that, now I can look at her or him and I can love them based on that, not based on them always letting me down and failing me. When we get in talking about fathers, guess what? Same thing for dads. Unfortunately, sometimes we stick with that old man whack-a-mold and forget about teaching the new stuff. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Look at that. Now watch that carefully. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus, right? And God, who of God is made unto us. God took Christ Jesus and made this for us. And then put us in it. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Look at what you have. You have his wisdom. You have the mind of Christ. You have his righteousness. You have redemption. You have sanctification. you got a job to do, and you've chosen to do it <coughs> Excuse me, in marriage. And when you go and do that, come back to Ephesians 5. You're doing what God had purposed and planned for the roles in marriage to do. You're completely equipped. Somebody one time asked me, where's the handbook on marriage? And I said, it's the Word of God right there. Where's the handbook on, you know, Dr. Spock and raising kids and all this craziness? The, the book does it for you. We're completely equipped. So in our marriage, we need to be looking at our spouses in the new, mind, the new man, the new identity mentality. I hope you get that. Because of verse 33, 533. Because ultimately we come to verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Because ultimately we come down to what is our greatest needs in humanity. In marriage, in the role of a husband, and in the role of a wife. Again, marriage is not a necessity in life. Yet it is a God-established privilege to have a spouse who's another member of the body of Christ. That's a great privilege. It's a great privilege to be married to another member of the, of the body of Christ. But let's notice this verse very carefully. 
nevertheless. Here's the bottom line, okay? 6-1, children, obey your parents. Here's the bottom line for marriage. Bottom line, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, in the role that you're in, husband or wife, the issue is identification. Who are you? I'm a wife and I'm a husband. Then let's, we're going to, this is the, this is the bottom line. The bottom line is there's only two basic needs. One is husbands, you're to love his wife, even as himself. And wife, see that she reverence her husband. I have books at home on my bookcase in my study at home. And uh, I, got, you know, I got a new one the other day, seven steps to a happy marriage. And I'm like, okay, cool, read them down. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Ain't going to work. You know why? Because it's do this, do this, do this, do this. And guess what? I failed, I failed, I failed. You ever, t- you ever, I don't even know if they have Cosmopolitan magazine anymore, but you take the relationship quizzes in the back, you know, you've seen those. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I just remember the days of old, right? Okay, I guess now you do it all online, right? And you, well, you're compatible this way and compatible. And you know what you begin to happen? You begin to do what? Develop lists. And when lists are developed, failure sets in immediately. There's only one focus of the husband and wife. And that's the focus of what God said is the very core issue. Husbands, love your wives, even as himself. And wife, sees that she reverence her husband. That's it. Well, we got ten, ten things he needs. Men are from Mars and women are from the other side of the planet. Right? That's what, the, that's what the philosophy of the world says. What's God's word say? Two things. Husbands, love your wives as yourself. And ladies, wives, reverence the husband. Now you think about, in light of everything we've been talking about, the last seven weeks, seven lessons. We've been talking about husbands. Take number one. Husbands, love his wife as himself. The issue of identification there. Remember that cleave that's stuck on that wallpaper? She becomes your wallpaper. She's your helpmeet. All of that. That issue of married love. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That sacrificial love, that self-giving love, that sanctifying love, that purifying love, all that Christ did for us, we are to do in our marriage with our wives. That's loving her. Don't love her in the old man, love her in the new man. And by the way, you may say, well, we weren't saved when we got married. That happens. So let's take today. Start today, okay? Because you're both in Christ. Let's do it today. All right? When you understand who you are in Christ and you live that way in your life, and then you bring that in and you live that way with your spouse. You begin to focus not on her failures and disappointments and, oh my goodness, she dropped the ball again. Rick, come over here right now. Right, 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 right. All right? Now you can do that and I'll come and help, but guess where we're going to go? Right here. Okay? When you focus on her and as who she is in Christ, not in her failures, you're going to love her as you love yourself. 
You don't cuss yourself out. Guys, you don't abuse yourself. You what? Love yourself. You take care of yourself. You protect yourself. Then guess what you're to go do? We just look at verse 28, 29. You go do that for your wife. Follow that? Then he says wives. Think about this, ladies, if you're married, wives. Reverence your husband. Okay. Guy's a jerk. Again, how are we looking at him? Old man or new man? He's still a jerk, by the way. But how are you looking at him? Which way? Okay. Who, do you, who, who in Scripture is the only one that gives, gets reverence? The Lord does. God does. But yet she says, he said, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, that she's to reverence her husband. So what in the world is going on there? Well, what does verse 22 tell you, ladies? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Your job, your role, is to relax and allow him to love you. What is he doing? Verse 33. What's his edict? What's his mantra? Love his wife as his own self. What's he doing? He's loving himself by what? Loving you. And you know what you do, ladies? I don't want that. No, that's not what I want. And you know what? When you do that, you're looking at him out of the old man viewpoint. What are you to do? You're to submit to him as unto the Lord. And again, submission doesn't mean doormat, don't have a voice, don't speak all the archaic ideas about it. You go into scripture, and what was she? What was Eve created to be? What was that role of the wife created to be? A help meet for him to come along and let and make him the best he can be. Here he is trying to love you, trying to figure. Over there in Peter, he says, love her with knowledge. Huh? She's the most fascinating creature God ever made, and I've got to love her by knowledge? How and get to know her? How in the world is that? She's, yeah. You know, you know how you are, ladies. You go down one street, and then you turn right real quick. What happened? We were going that way. Now we're over here. And you go, what? Guys are like, oh, I'm the lover. That's what the book says. Ladies, your job's to relax and allow him to love you. And what we discover is... That could be hard sometimes. And it's very difficult. Listen to me, ladies. It's very difficult to relax and allow someone to love you. No, it's not. I can. No, it is difficult because what do you want to do? Be in charge. And you're to be in submission to, you're to be the subject to his what? His leadership. His influence, his direction. And what you need to do, ladies, wives, I keep saying ladies, but wives, is to relax. Think about, think about 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul goes in there and he describes charity and what charity does and what it does not. 
those verses in 1 Corinthians 13? You see, the Corinthians weren't doing any of that. And Paul lists that. But for husband and wives, for the wives especially, think about this, all of us really, think about when you read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 down to about verse 7 there, you think about this is how God views me. Because he loved me. And when you think about that, the list that way, ladies, wives, that's how your husband is thinking about you when he's trying to love you. Did that make any sense? When it says, chair, well, we don't have the time. You go read that list. That's your husband trying to love you. And you know what, ladies? Sometimes you just got to sit down, be quiet, and let him do it. Problem is, is our old man gets going, and you know what happens? They shut that thing down. So then what does the guy do, the husband do? He stops, too. So you say, yeah, but he's really not living up to my standards. Where, so then where are you thinking? Old man. And rather, we need to be thinking about him in the way God tells us how to think about him. We need to relax and let him love you. Let him influence you. Let him compel you. Let him constrain you. Because when you're doing that, that's what reverencing him is all about. Because that's what, come back with me to Genesis 3, just real quick. I, that's what reverence is all about, letting him love you. And when you do that, you're, you're being for him what God has designed you to be for him. And that's that helpmeet that he needs. One more passage. I forgot to add this here. We've got a couple minutes. Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we have the fall of Adam and Eve, fall of mankind. You start there in verse uh, 11 and 12 and 13, and they do the shift the blame game. The woman made me do it. The devil made me do it. You know, Satan doesn't say, I made him do it. He just sits there. <laughs> and come over to verse, so, he, so God then judges Satan Verse 14 and 15. Verse 16. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. By the way, drop down there to verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve, the name Eve means life giver. What is her curse in verse 16, she's going to be the giver of life, isn't she? All life is going to come through the valley of death, the saying says. That's, who she, that's one part. But then watch the and. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And usually we mess that, that, end, that desire issue up in teaching and looking at it. Come over, let me give you an idea. Come over to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Song of Solomon. It's after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Look at so so Song of Solomon 7. 
And think about this issue of, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. What has happened in Adam earlier? God brings the animal planet to Adam, sees how he's going to name him. He finds out he's a lonesome dude. God created in Adam a need for a help meet. 2.18, Genesis 2.18, okay? So Adam already knows he needs help. So what's he out there looking for? A helper, a help meet, a meet, someone qualified to come up and help him. Song of Solomon 7, verse number 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is what? Towards me. In Genesis 3.16, when the Lord says to Eve, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule. Do you know, it's towards him. Usually we say, oh, she's going to want to usurp him and run him and rule him. That is not what he's talking about. In Eve, he has created a, a desire. Her focus is going to be towards Adam now. Her focus is going to be towards me. He, Linda, my wife, she's, her focus is towards me. That's why marriage is not the family. The verse there in verse 33 in Ephesians 5 ends with a period. The marriage is the husband and the wife. Her desire is towards me. Eve's focus now, Eve's drive now in the woman is to go and to fix him. Because he needs fixing. Now listen to me. Wives, reverence your husbands. Why? He needs you. He knows that. That's why he went looking for you. Hunt her down. Shot her. Got her. Bring her home. Bagged her. Tagged her. She's mine. Right? And she goes, I let you, dude. Because you need me and I need you. Ladies, your husband is your project. He needs your help. He needs you to come along and fix you and help you. Not come in here with a list of a thousand, honeydew list of a thousand things to do, and when you do, you fail, and I'm going to whack you. That's old man thinking. Thinking about who you are in Christ. Husbands, you're to love your wives, and when you do, she'll relax and let you love her. And ladies, your desire, your drive is going to be towards him to let him love you so you can fix what he needs and help him be the best husband he can be. Our challenge, gentlemen, husbands, is to love her till she does relax. And let the love that you have for her influence her, constrain her, cause that desire to be towards you. That's how we're to be functioning. Go back there to Ephesians 5. That's why the bottom line, if you need 25 steps to a happy marriage, I can give them to you. But bottom line, you only need these two issues right here. The husband 
So love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Folks, I'd l- let, let us function this way in our marriage. Not in the old man identity of who we were, but rather now in who we are in Christ. Taking, husbands, taking who you are and bringing her, purifying her, cleansing her, sanctifying her, washing her with the word. So that you can present to yourself this wife, this glorious, beautiful wife. And wives, let him do it for you. You're the object of his desire. He knows you need him. He hunted you down. He bagged and tagged you. You got him going. Got it. Okay? And you, but yet you know that, so you let him catch you. <laughs> you know? Let's function this way. Because in 6 1, the first word, children, and you know what happens when children show up? All hell breaks loose, as they say. You know what happens when children show up? Life just changed. And for most men, husbands, when, life, when the children show up, he becomes one of the children. Because he has lost his identity. Because what, did, what does his wife just become? Mom. And what does mom do on the children? So what does she stop doing? paying attention to hubby, follow me? But if you're sound in your identity and who you are in Christ, and when the children show up and you then go together, now you have a different scenario. Follow that? It starts with a solid marriage. The roles being played out as who they should be and where they should be. Folks, our marriages should look different than the world. They should, because we're in Christ. And we should, look, we should never look like the world. We should be completely different. Unfortunately, we're not, because we get stuck over here in the old. And we don't pay attention to the new. Let's live in the new, okay? All right, Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction in it. And Lord, I just pray that we would take this to heart, study it, make it ours, may it become real in our lives. And as we go forward and as we move and our relationships change and differ, our standing and relationship with you never changes. And let's, let, let, let us let that be where we're going to stand. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand. We'll be dismissed with the song.